everybody out there. I'm your host, Frederick Remick, and this is the podcast, Critically United, where we listen, we think, we absorb and percolate, and then we come up with our own conclusions based upon what we hear using critical thinking. Imagine that. <laughs> Today's podcast, we're going to be speaking with somebody who's going to be an expert on the Constitution, how it applies today, and why it's one of the most important unifying aspects of our society. So without further ado, I introduce you, Jesse Rude. Hey guys, I'm sitting here with Jesse Rude. Jesse, where are you right now? You're in uh, St. Louis, is that correct? Uh, Kansas Somewhere City. Near there? Kansas City? Okay. Yeah. So we're in two time zones, I'm in San Diego. Um, Jesse is a constitutional scholar and also a constitutionalist, correct? Yes. All right, perfect. Okay, so let's just jump right in. Um, one of the things I want to do is start this podcast with somebody who can actually talk theoretically and also professionally about what the Constitution is and kind of how it is our unifying document and talk about how it's being used. Maybe it's being misused, but we'll, we'll jump into that. So um, the first thing I'd like to talk about is, you know, kind of tell us what makes someone a constitutional scholar and a constitutionalist. Let's start there. All right, so... There are a few ways that you could get started on becoming kind of a constitutional scholar or in the very least a constitutionalist. And uh, simply it comes from understanding why the Constitution was written and uh, what it means. And there are many resources available out there that can give you kind of a uh, early understanding of the Constitution for free. One of them, for example, is uh, uh, you got Hillsdale College has some free courses on the Constitution that you could do online. Uh, you've got Institute on the Constitution has courses that you can do, and uh, there's a good buddy of mine, Paul Engel, has mm -hmm. uh, something called the Constitution Study, and uh, he's trying to get that going across the country, and uh, there's some partners of mine that are also doing Constitution Study classes uh, in their counties, and those were just like um, uh, a Bible study. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. In, in your name. So, um... It sounds like something, and we'll get to it in a minute. You don't need to tell your whole story because you and I have something in common, which I'll get to, which is kind of interesting. Um, would you encourage people to do that? It sounds like you went down this, we'll call it a rabbit hole. It's not really, it's education, but you went down this for particular reasons. And well, I guess talk to people out there about why you would encourage them to become more knowledgeable about the Constitution. So the reason why I would encourage people to become knowledgeable about the Constitution is because we need to be able to hold our government accountable to the laws that are placed against the government. Um, if the government ignored the laws that are placed against us, like not being able to murder, not being able to rape, we would have chaos. And the same rules really apply to government. Our constitution are laws in place to restrict government from abusing us. And if we just continue to let the uh, government ignore the Constitution, do what it wants, and, and abuse its powers, we lose more and more of our liberties, we lose more and more of our freedoms, and a lot of our financial security in some, some cases even. Sure, sure. So to be clear, too, and you know, this first podcast I'm doing, so I'll, I'll say this to you, I'll say it to the audience out there. I'm, I'm absolute pure independent as far as politically. I actually am a, the Constitution is something in my heart. Um, believe it or not, sometimes when I 
I'm doing the uh, Pledge of Allegiance, for example, something real silly. I do it at my daughter's school when I go on Mondays. And it means a lot to me, actually. And I do think about the Constitution, how it's something we fought for as people, you know, and it should be a, a unifying force. And, I'm, you know, we'll get to all this, but my, my belief is that we're allowing division into this country that doesn't need to be there, number one. And number two, we're given mainly two political parties too much power. Um, yes. And they're abusing not only us as citizens, but they're not following the Constitution. Um, just let me branch off, too, and this is where I'm going to get controversial right off the bat. <laughs> I don't even have this written down, but when you said that, one of the first things I thought, thought of was COVID and how our liberties, our, our freedom was stomped upon during COVID, and somehow it was okay. Somehow it was okay to ask people about their own medical history, for example. Where, where did you stand on that, and how do you feel about it now looking back? You really shouldn't have to do that. I mean, that is private information. Uh, one of the things that our Constitution has in it is the Fourth Amendment, which guarantees our right to be uh, or, uh, secure in our papers and effects. Uh, and the Fifth Amendment also does a lot of the same, same guarantees that we cannot have our stuff seized from us. We are to be secure in our papers and our effects. Mm -hmm. uh, we also cannot... Uh, uh, testify against ourselves unwillingly, uh, like the Fifth Amendment. Have you ever heard the uh, phrase, I plead the Fifth? Of course, yeah. Uh, and a lot of attorneys will tell you, don't talk to police because of the mm -hmm. Fifth Amendment. It says you, you are not obligated to incriminate yourself. Right. And, and then you have and the, it, other side, the other side will say, well, if you haven't done anything wrong, then. But yeah. it, is, it is one of our... Our, our liberties, right? It's one of our yes. inalienable rights, and, and we have the right to do that without being questioned. Um, so I think you and I will have a lot in common on a lot of things, and then I think we'll have some differences as we move forward. Uh, yeah. You know, which is great, which is what the show is about, by the way, everybody. You know, we call it Critically United because we want to be united in our critical thinking. We don't want to just hear something, assume it's the truth, and not look into it. So I want to see, you know, both sides of everything and kind of, you know, figure out where that middle ground is, and, and you out there, you decide where your middle ground is. I'm sure ours is different, too, you know. I want to I wanna actually touch on that real quick. Yeah. So, uh, in the founding of our Constitution, uh, one of the things that was in design by our Constitution was for things to be slow. They did not want rapid change. They did not want emotional reaction. They did not want anything of that sort. They wanted things to be well thought out, well debated, and discussed before it got implemented. And uh, it's interesting that uh, Woodrow Wilson, uh, he was quoted saying that he hates how difficult it is to get anything done in the United States because he had basically no power as president to get anything pushed through. Right. And he kind of laid the foundation for that bureaucratic system that we have now and FDR kind of put the nail in the coffin on the bureaucratic system that we have now. Uh, between those two, they kind of gave us the bureaucratic system that we have now, where we have all of our um, ABC agencies that we have now. Before that, we just had Congress voted on everything. Congress had to debate everything. Now we have everything pushed through the administrative. Yeah. So when when did government get so big? I, I don't know that part of the history, but you're alluding to that to how it's gotten yeah. larger, and there's you know there's more control basically. Let's put it that way. So when when did that happen? 
it, it started under like Woodrow Wilson and kind of that between World War One, World War Two era. Um, that is when it all kind of really started going out of control with the administrative branch. It's technically not a branch of government, but I call it the administrative branch. It's kind of that fourth branch of government now because the administration just pushes through regulation right. after regulation. Right, right, right. So I think that's a really interesting point, how the Founding Fathers actually encouraged us to have discourse and debate and, and, and come to some kind of you know, middle ground that they could move forward with. Obviously, we've all heard the stories about the Constitution, how they fought over it for, how long did it take them to finally ratify it? I mean, it took a long time, right? Oh, it took quite a while. I mean, before we even had the Constitution, we had the Articles of Confederation. Right. Uh, those, those basically were just a, a loose document of uh, uh, just building a, a government that can get us by while we fought the war, but it wasn't sufficient. Uh, and then when we got the Constitution, it took almost a year worth of debate and almost a year worth of rat ratifying. Uh, during the uh, after the after the draft was finalized, you had uh, Federalists and Anti-Federalists debating over whether the Constitution was good or not, and that's when you had the Federalist Papers and the Anti-Federalist Papers. Uh, where they debated in newspapers very frequently what the pros and cons of the Constitution. Right, right. I just thought, I thought that was a really good point, though, that we, that was established within kind of the construct. I think one of the things I was thinking about today about the Constitution, it's a very unique document. You know way more about it than I do. But <laughs> what's unique about it is it's not only a, it's not only a governmental framework, it's also a social framework. And I think that's very unique in the world. Um, I mean, what other countries have constitutions that are remotely similar to ours? Are there? Not really. Um, when you look at the United States Constitution and the history of it, it's one of the shortest constitutions in the world, but also one of the longest lasting constitutions in the world. Many constitutions will try to frame the, uh, the rights of the people, uh, the rights of the government rather than the rights of the people. Mm -hmm. And uh, our Constitution places limitations on the government and exceeds the rights of the people. Right. I think that's a very, very uh, valid point there. Okay, so here's we're going to get to something we have in common. And you don't know this. I did a little research on you. I don't know if you did on me. <laughs> There's more about you than me. <laughs> so uh, both of us were adopted at birth, I believe, correct? Oh, really? Yes. Yes, I was. Yeah. And from what I read, I, 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 don't, I couldn't even tell you where I found it. I mean, I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole, and, but you were sharing your experience. And I think one of the reasons that you got into being a constitutionalist is feeling like you were not counted. You weren't a human being. So can you explain kind of – it stinks okay. that you had to go through it, but I think it's a very interesting story. Maybe you can explain to the audience kind of what happened to you. Yes, this is a very interesting story. Um, when I was going through this, uh, I had to go, I had to get an attorney, essentially, to get my adoption finalized as an adult. And uh, we had contacted state senators, governor's office, and all kinds of people, like, what am I supposed to do? And all of them were like, I've never seen anything like this before. Uh, you're going to need to get an attorney and figure it out. So I was adopted at birth. But there was a flaw in the paperwork, so it didn't get finalized in the court system properly. 
And nobody noticed this until I turned 18, wanting to get a job, wanting to do, so wanting to do everything. Yeah. And I was homeschooled, so we didn't have to deal with, oh, you have to show your social security number or anything, because I was homeschooled. That makes more sense. So, so with the uh, mess up in the paperwork, I did not get a social security number uh, issued at birth. Um, my birth certificate had the wrong last name on it. So... So it had my biological parents' last name on it instead of the parents who adopted me. And it turned into like this catch-22 because I didn't, I didn't go to physical school. I was homeschooled. So I had no school ID. I had no social security number. My birth certificate had the wrong name on it. I couldn't prove who I was. Wow. You go to the DMV and they'll say, we can't do anything. You don't have a social security number. Go to the social security office we can't do anything you don't have any kind of picture id or state id so was this all just out of an administrative error at the beginning or was this an admin yes. issue yeah it, it was just an admin issue that happened at the beginning and it goes to show how the social security number which is not supposed to be used as a, for identification purposes has just become just one of those other bureaucratic nightmares and abuse it, they're, they're making you use that to open a bank, to uh, get a driver's license, to just do anything in life with a social security number now. But long story short, I did not get my social security number issued until I was 24 years old. Wow. So I had, I had six years of my life stripped away by governmental nonsense. So you couldn't, you couldn't get, like, credit? You couldn't nope. get... Um... What else? Couldn't tell tell us the limitations when you don't have uh, identity or social security. You can't get a job. You can't get a driver's license. You you can't get any kind of state ID. Um, th there's really nothing you can do because you have nothing for a tax tax number or anything at that point. That is crazy. I ne I'd never heard that. When I read it, I, I just I think that myself that that didn't happen to me because that, that must have been incredibly frustrating, especially when you're you know, you're young and you're kind of becoming an adult and you're trying to establish your own identity and you realize you don't have an identity or they're telling you you don't. Right, is, right, yeah. <laughs> the government's like, you don't count. <laughs> yeah, I did not exist according to the government. So I had some friends that would always joke about me being deported to Antarctica because I don't exist. <laughs> <laughs> I really never heard a story like that. And so your uh, adoptive parents, what did they think of this whole thing? Are they still around, or did they help you? Yeah, they're still around. Uh, yeah. they, they did help me a lot in sorting it out. Uh, they yeah. they paid for the attorney to get it sorted oh. out because I had no money without a without a job. job but uh, sure, yeah. But uh, yeah, they, they put down a couple thousand dollars, whatever it was, to uh, get wow. the attorney to sort everything out for me. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you, but I mean, it explains maybe why you had a passion for going into you know being a constitutionalist, which is we're all we're all we all count. And clearly, yeah. you weren't for six years. Yeah. Ridiculous. So let's move on. Um, you know, one of the main reasons, I, as I explained before doing this show, is to try to kind of close the gap of division. Um, let me ask you a question about the Constitution. So when you look at how it's being followed or honored in society and politically, I mean, you know, we could kind of have two different things. Because I think one of the things that's unique about the United States is that you can choose just to ignore your government here. You, you do have some freedoms. Now, granted, they get stomped on, which they yeah. shouldn't. But overall, you can kind of live your own life versus other countries where, you know, if you get out of line, you're in jail. But yeah. what do you see going on out there uh, 
like I said, politically and socially that is good, where people are using the Constitution correctly, and some of the bad stuff that's going on? I'll start with socially, because this one's a little bit easier. Um, socially, for the most part, we still do a good job. Uh, I do believe people need to exert their rights a little bit more. Um, uh, like, not not subjecting themselves to questioning when they really don't need to. Um, things like that, I think uh, we need to do better on. And we need to do better on not trying to use government to enforce our will on others. Uh, one example being how unions have kind of started abusing their powers instead of uh, uh, just representing their employees. They go to government, hey, we want you to pass this regulation sure. on all businesses, uh, things like that. Sure. Um, and I, let me interrupt you right there because this is a good segue into something uh, as it pops into my head. So l lobby groups, right? So yeah. In, in your estimation, what would be a good system to curtail the power of lobbying groups? Because you're talking about unions, and that's clearly what they're doing. They're lobbying for, like you said, bills and advantages and you know, what, whatever's going on. But they're trying to manipulate the government. So what do you think should happen with lobbyists? So lobbying is not in of itself bad. You and I are technically, technically lobbyists. If we ever contact a representative saying, hey, we want this, we're lobbying the government, uh, the, that official, to try and push our agenda. Sure. Uh, so lobbying in of itself isn't necessarily bad. The problem is that the lobbyists are abusing um, their, their wealth and using that, like the corporate and, and uh, union lobbies, for example, are abusing their, their powers by having government push laws that really have no business being pushed by government mm -hmm. because our constitution was designed to be li very limited. Uh, we were designed to be a government where, uh, it just focused on the necessities to run the nation. It wasn't to be focused on micromanaging every little detail of the country that was up to the state. Right. But now we've got lobbies and everything pushing federal government to grow bigger and bigger with regulation after regulation. Right. And that, that, that wasn't the intent. So what, what, what can people do individually? I mean, obviously voting for the, like, you know, I mean, between you and I, and I'm just going to say this, <laughs> I get hate mail, but I personally feel that 95% of politicians are crooks, and we probably shouldn't be putting our morals and ethics into their hands personally, or our personal lives for that matter, right? But with that being said, um, besides voting for someone who is more constitutionally oriented, what can we do as individuals to make sure that we're not getting that usurped out of us? Meet your representatives. Mm. That, that's a big one. Uh, if you go to your uh, state house of representatives, it's mm -hmm. very likely that they will see you. Uh, here in Missouri, there's a group called the Missouri uh, Liberty something I can't read. I think it's Missouri Liberty Initiative mm -hmm. uh, off the top of my head. Um, they have gone to the courthouse multiple times, spoken to representatives. They helped get a uh, bill passed called SAPA, which is the Second Amendment Preservation Act. Mm. Uh, they also pushed a gold and silver initiative in the uh, House. 
uh, that that almost went through. It kind of got mm -hmm. blocked by a Senate majority leader in the state. But uh, if it wasn't for that, it would have been voted on and, and had a chance to go through. But going to visit your your representatives is huge. Uh, I've actually never people, done that, so that's actually something very interesting that I yeah a, a lot of probably should do. A lot of people assume that they don't want to see you. Some of them don't. But if they don't want to see you, you know that they're not somebody worth your time to have an office. Because if they don't want to, if they think they're wasting time on you, you are wasting time on them. Excellent. So let's jump into something. I was gonna. I, I, ha, I have some papers here that if you're on YouTube, you'll see it. But you're not gonna. You're not gonna see it on Apple or Spotify. But um, I'll go back. But since you mentioned the Second Amendment, I'll jump to that section. We might as well hit it right now. So. Uh, and this is just, and if I'm wrong about what I read about you, you can you can clarify. But it sounds like, from what I've read, that you're very passionate about the Second Amendment. And uh, if that's true, maybe you can share with us why you're so passionate about it. It, it really goes down to the founding of the country. Um, we we fought a revolution against England, and the only reason why we were able to succeed is because we had the same same quality of weapons as they did. And the Second Amendment, you can go into the Federalist Papers and you have James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and John Jay all speak on the topic on how essential the right to bear arms is as a country. Uh, Madison says in one of the Federalist Papers how uh, one of the things that Americans enjoy over every kingdom in Europe is the right to bear arms. Because if our government goes out of control, we have the ability to say, stop mm -hmm. while over there they just have their pitchforks at that right. time period right. and it's hard for them to, to say stop when their government has muskets and rifles that the people right. do not have access to let me let me ask you about that so and i have i'll be honest with you i have i don't have an answer here on these questions that's why i bring somebody like you on to maybe give us the nuances of the constitutional side of it and then we can decide for ourselves where we land but when you said that, one of the things I thought about was, you know, patriotism and and honoring the Constitution in this country. So if we were to assume that every person that had a gun had that demeanor, I, I'm 100 percent with you. My concern is that, you know, we have nuts out there. You know, I'm not going to put it any other way sometimes. And if we have. Not that we should limit somebody's ability to have it, um, but it is concerning to me, I guess, is my point, you know, to have everyone have it have a gun and then we're relying on their integrity we're relying on their patriotism we're relying on their uh likeness with everybody else that's trying to follow the constitution you follow what i'm saying so that's yeah. that's that's the one thing i worry about to be honest with you and and it's a fair worry but it's a scenario where uh because of a concern is that a reason to violate the rights of others sure um and Thomas Jefferson has a quote. He says, I prefer a dangerous freedom over a peaceful slavery. <laughs> and what, what he's saying in that is basically, yeah, there will be those nuts out there. There's always been people, there's been stabbings, there's been uh, killings since the beginning of time, essentially. Sure. And you will always get those nut jobs out there. But one thing I will say in addition we ourselves, we as individuals, you, myself, for a household, for a neighborhood, for a state, for a country, 
we are both the first and the last line of defense, both uh, domestically and um, otherwise. Because right. let's say China invades California. You've got troops coming in on the, the coastline of uh, uh, California right now. Who's the first people there? You got the police and the individuals. The army needs to deploy. Mm -hmm. You are the first line of defense. That's the militia. Right. And then the army will come in. They're the main line after that. Now, what happens if the army fails? Let's say China takes over the country. We are the last line of defense because we are the resistance at that point. And that that's just on a large scale. Do I see that happening? No. Uh, that's, that's why Yamamoto uh, in World War II said there's no way to win a war against the United States because there's a gun behind every blade of grass. Interesting. And, yeah. and he knew there was no way to win a war against us because of that. So let's get to the social part of that. This, we're talking about freedoms and, and liberties yep. and right, the Second Amendment. Now, socially, we're dealing with things like you know, mass shootings. And, and, and I think you'll agree with me on this because what I'm about to say hopefully will, <laughs> will, will, will appease what probably your feeling was when I said that. I, I think that the media is using that term in such a ridiculous term now all the time. I agree. It's a, a quote-unquote mass shooting, you know. And they're trying to drive this narrative. But I, I will say this, though. So we, do, you have, I don't, do you have kids or you don't have kids yet? Not yet. Not yet. I do okay. plan on okay. having You're kids. You're younger than me, yeah, man. So <laughs> I'm old. I got two kids. <laughs> so obviously I'm concerned about any time I see something about a school shooting, especially, and kids getting unfairly butchered, generally by, I hate to say it, but they're usually white males. They're disgruntled because of something, and it's usually some sort of automatic weapon. Usually. Not always, but usually. So with that concern in mind, what is, what's a reasonable approach to curtail that or try to get that sort of thing not to happen? What, what are your opinions on that? So there's a, a few things that we've lost in society with regards to that. One is just gun safety courses. Uh, there used to be a time when schools would have shooting competitions. They'd have, have teams of shooters. Um, kids used to go to school with their hunting rifles in the back of their truck and then go hunting before or after school. Hmm. Um, we, we've lost kind of our, our sense of safety with guns. Um, there's also, we used to have uh, some more mental health institutes where, that we were able to put people in who we're not mentally stable and we don't really have that anymore. Um, and I really like the idea of arming teachers. A lot of people will give me pushback on that, but I really like the idea of that. And if not that, I like the idea of having security officers in, in a school. Sure. Um, one person I saw online one time said, what do we do with our money? We put it in a bank. What does the bank do? They arm guards, they lock it up, they, they secure it. Right now, our, our, our children, they're not secure. They're not protected, they're not anything. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of them are what's in military and police terms, they call them soft targets because they're not, they're not hard to crack into. A bank is a hard target. It's a hard, hard uh, institution to crack into, to get into the money and everything. 
Um, and we got to stop having our kids be soft targets. They need to be hard targets. They need to be right. difficult to get to. Uh, right now, it's too easy to get to them. Right. I would agree with that. I mean, I've, I've even thought about, I was talking to my wife the other day. I'm like, why doesn't somebody come up with some sort of barricade system where every school, the minute something happens, they hit a button, everything locks up, they're on high alert. It's it's secure, you know. Granted, wherever the shooter is, they could get locked in somewhere, but at least it would protect them. It's it's like the idea in a ship, right? When you breach the hull, they start yep. shutting. You know what I mean? It's kind of that idea, and I don't know why schools aren't built that way, or they should be retrofitted that way, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I would agree. So so with that, so do you think? And like I said, this this is exploration. This isn't right or wrong. It's just it, the important thing is for people to hear different viewpoints, right? Yeah. So one of the things we always talk about in the news and we hear is, you know, limiting the type of firearms people are allowed to own. Where, where do you fall in that? Should there be no restrictions or should there be restrictions on what you can own? I'm of the opinion of no restrictions uh, okay. because in the Second Amendment, it says very clearly the right to bear arms. And if you look up the definition of arms, uh, their intent behind this at that time, when they say arms, they were very specific in all of their wording. Arms is short for armaments. And this is in all inclusive, even in military weaponry. Anything that can be used in, in war, in self-defense or otherwise is considered an armament. Even a kitchen knife is considered an armament if you're using it as a weapon. Sure, sure. And... If there is any limitation, I would say at all, I would say probably nuclear weapons would be the limitation, but... <laughs> Let's hope but we're not carrying around nuclear weapons. Right, right. <laughs> but I mean, at the, at the same time, I would say that any weapon that the government can use against us, we should be able to use against the government. Okay. And that is the best check against government. Okay, so let's branch off of that, actually, too, government. All right, so, I mean, some people, you know, I, I, I like to, like I said, I, I like to see both sides of it, and I like to listen to what you're saying. I have my own thoughts on it, but I, I can be swayed, and I get a lot of what you're saying. Um, I wonder about what the, what the reasonability, in other words, could this ever happen that the government is going to somehow turn on us especially at a national level, um, you know, I, and then when I, that being said, and we're going to get to this too, but then again, when uh, our ex-president Trump, you know, there, there was a moment where things kind of went haywire. And, and I did feel like maybe the government could be directed at the people, you know, and forced upon them. And maybe they should have arms. So in one respect, on a broad scale, I feel like it's kind of far-fetched, but I've, you know, I've saw it happen in a small scale. So I guess I think that's the one thing people have a hard time. It sounds a little conspiracy theory in the fact that people don't think that the government on a big scale would just try to take over the population. You know what I mean? Um, so where do you fall on that? You just think that that is a possibility. Therefore, there shouldn't be any restrictions and we should be able to own what the government has. It's 100% a possibility. And there's actually okay. an example of it happening in the United States right after World War II. Okay. Explain. Uh, have, you, have you ever heard of the Battle of Athens? No, I have not. There's a movie on it. There's a movie called The Battle of Athens. Highly recommend that. Okay. So the Battle of Athens was 
a uh, Athens, Tennessee, a local government uh, went kind of AWOL. It kind of went on its own. It was rigging its own election. It was suppressing the people's uh, voice, suppressing their, their rights. And you have a whole bunch of soldiers returning from World War II having just fought against one of the most tyrannical governments ever to exist in our history coming home and seeing their own local government do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have all these former World War II soldiers. They ended up raiding the uh, National Guard armory and using those weapons to lay siege to the county jail where they were counting and rigging votes to wow. find out that uh, they were they were rigging their own local election. And they knew that they had to get that taken care of that very night or else the National Guard was going to come in. They'd all be arrested and they'd lose their right. ability to, to prove their innocence. Uh, but because they were able to break into the jail and lay siege to that jail before everything got finalized, they were able to prove, hey, this was rigged. We were, we were being robbed of our rights, our liberties, and everything. And uh, one of those uh, uh, former soldiers was actually being uh, elected. Uh, he would have won uh, the vote. Oh, really? If it wasn't for, yeah, oh, he would have won the vote if it wasn't for them rigging the election. And you said it's called the Siege of Athens? Is that what you said? Battle of Athens. Battle of Athens. Okay. Yeah, I'll watch that. That's very interesting. And no, I hadn't heard that story actually. But yeah, it, it's it's proven that it can and has happened in the United States, and it could very well happen at a larger scale too. The one of the things that stops it is the fact that so many people have have weapons. We have more weapons in this country than people, and the government yeah, knows yeah. it. Yeah, I know that. Okay, so this is a good branch off of that too. So when we look at other developed countries like Australia, Canada. France, I mean, we go on and on. So, and this isn't, I'm not laying out like, ha, 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 but let's look at it honestly. So those countries don't have the same sort of, you know, uh, school killings and mass shootings. You know, like I said, I hate that term, but whatever. Um, Is it purely just the guns or what makes those countries different that they don't have that same ratio of violence? I wouldn't say the ratio of violence is much different. Um, if you look at London, for example, they had a whole knife buyback program at some point because there were so many stabbings going on in the country. Right. Uh, criminals will always find a way to be criminals. Uh, if you just take away a certain type of weapon, they'll find a way to get it illegally or they will use a different weapon. And you, you see that throughout history. Um, before guns even existed, there were stabbings all the time. People would mug people, rob people with a knife or mm-hmm. even a sword in some cases. Um, when guns came around, they just used a different weapon, a more modern weapon to do it. Yeah. And the, so, this so goes, somebody this, came, if somebody came up to you as somebody who's obviously feels very passionate in protecting the Constitution, the intent of it as well, and they said to you, hey, look, Jesse, Let's just say it's you're you're in a position to make something happen, right? And they said to you, "Hey, look, isn't there can, is there some middle ground somewhere? Even if it's, even if it's on the extreme gun rights side, is there some middle ground where we can get rid of automatic weapons, for example? Or or is in your opinion that's just off the table? In my opinion, that's off the table. Uh, and okay. right now, unfortunately, automatic weapons are already pretty much uh, 
gone. And when you look at the, the school shootings, for example, the AR-15 isn't an automatic weapon. It's a semi-automatic weapon. Okay. But so is an M9 pistol. Can you explain the difference, by the way? I'm, I'm sure there's not very many people out there that are familiar with guns. Explain the difference between a semi-automatic and an automatic weapon. So semi-automatic means that one pull of the trigger means one shot is fired. Okay. And automatic, you can hold the trigger down, it'll just keep shooting shots. Okay. Uh, there is also one other type called boost fire, where if you pull down the trigger, it'll shoot like three to five shots. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Like I said, this is this podcast is about exploring these things. I, I want people to hear both sides of it. I mean, like I said, I have my concerns as a, as a father, and I want my kids safe in school, but I, I also want to honor the Constitution. So I, like I said, I don't have an answer here. You know? Yeah, the, the I best answer was, I have on that, yeah, the best I answer I I have was, on that is, like I said, is just secure the school to make them hold yeah, tokens. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Um, and I'm with you on the mental health thing, clearly. I mean, I live, I live in San Diego, so here we have a big mental health issue. It's not as large as you would see in, like, Los Angeles or San Francisco. It, this is, that's not how our city works. They're better here at making sure people are off the streets. Um, however, a lot of the health, uh, mental health centers have been shut down since the 80s, um, I think mainly for funding reasons, right? I think the VA was just, they pulled a bunch of the money out, and a lot of the mental health facilities closed. So these people... You know, they're mentally unstable, they become drug addicts, they become violent, they die on the streets, et cetera, et cetera. So it's something that we yeah. deal with here, probably more than where you are, I'm guessing. Where I'm at now, yeah, it's not as bad here. Uh, when I was up in Washington State, um, because I lived only about an hour away from Seattle, right. Seattle's pretty bad. Yeah, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's unfortunate. That's really... Uh, <laughs> Give people a little tidbit. This will be something I'm going to talk about actually with somebody who actually works on the ground. I'm trying to find somebody actually who works on the ground in law enforcement who is a uh, homeless advocate because, you know, now I'm branching off. But basically what I'm seeing happen here in this city is that we have a lot of money being thrown at homelessness, but it's not being solved. And there's no encouragement. There's no reason for these companies, these nonprofits to do it because they're making money from the state. So if they solve the problem, they don't have a job. They don't have a nonprofit anymore. So anyway, that's another story. Let's move on with the Constitution. <laughs> 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 so um, I think that one of the things that uh, is, it, again, this would be controversial, I guess, because it depends on, like, I could care less what party someone is. I, I really don't. Do your job, you know. Like you said, honor, honor what's supposed to happen in this country, follow the Constitution, shut up and do your job, you're a civil servant. So what I'm about to say has nothing to do with my opinion on our ex-president Donald Trump. However, because you're a constitutionalist, I'd like to ask you, in your professional opinion, as a scholar of the Constitution, uh, did any of his actions violate the 14th Amendment, uh, you know, the, the part about insurrection, in your opinion? Now... That's a difficult one because I'm not so sure that was an insurrection. Um, but if you want to call it an insurrection, yes, it would have violated the 14th Amendment. Um, I'm just kind of torn on whether to call it an insurrection. Uh, I think it was just a, a protest that got out of hand and some really stupid people broke into the building. I would agree. Um, yeah. Because... 
the media really spun what he said publicly out of hand. I don't know. I'm not going to go into what he said in private because I, I haven't really followed that. Um, right. But what he said publicly was go and let your voices be heard. Mm -hmm. And the media spun that in a way of like, oh, he's saying to break into the building and, right. and riot and everything. I don't think that's what he said, at least not publicly. Right. I, um, I mean, I, per I personally think his, his mistake was twofold. One was he should have issued a statement right when people are starting to breach the Capitol. Please stop. I agree there. I'm the current president. Please stop doing this. You're not doing this for me. You're doing this out of hostility. You're doing this out of fear, whatever it is. But he should have stopped it. And, and to some extent, he kind of threw fuel on the fire to some extent. Um, and, yes, he and that did. was, I think, his first mistake. The second one was, and this is the funny part, as an independent, you know, now I'm going to get into politics, but this election will be decided by independents because the Democrats, they're dug in. The Republicans, they're dug in. They're going to vote for who they're going to vote for. People yep. like me, I, I'm assuming you, um, can be swayed based upon the, the quality of the candidate. And the independents are the ones that are going to decide this election. And if he had bowed out with grace, like, hey, you know what? I lost this one, but I'm coming back in four years. I'm going I'm to I'm handle this with honor. I love this country. And in four years, I'll be back with a vengeance. I think a lot of people would be behind him as opposed to the way he acted like a child, I thought, personally. I, I definitely, well, he, he has a history of acting like a child before he was even <laughs> president, but I'll, I'll let that slide. Uh, right. So a, a little history on, on me with Donald Trump is oh, yeah. I, voted, I voted for him in 2016. Okay. And my reasoning for voting for him is, one, he was an outsider. Two, sure. he said the right things. Right. Uh, but with how he performed as president, his first year and a half, amazing. He yeah. he he held the uh, NATO accountable to to fund themselves. He had great foreign policy. He made peace with Korea. First president to make peace with Korea since that war started. Um, he did great on border security. He did great right. on the economy. He handled COVID bad. He violated the Constitution with seizing um, uh, medical equipment from 3M that was getting sent over to Europe for COVID. Um, he he violated the Constitution with uh, bump stock bans. He violated the Constitution with uh, executive orders. Um, like I said, he had an amazing first year and a half as president, but yeah. the the rest of his term. Uh, I was really not happy with how he violated the Constitution so many times. Sure. So when it came to 2020, there was no way in hell I was going to vote for Biden. Right. But I also wanted to make a point. I'm not going to vote for Trump. Right. I wrote my own name in because I didn't, <laughs> I didn't have a candidate that I truly I liked. So I wrote my own name in. I was not happy with either candidate at that point because I knew sure. Biden wasn't going to follow the sure. Constitution. And then why, and why, are we, why are we in this position again? Um, it's funny ridiculous. you say that. It's so ridiculous. He, he, here's actually a fun, fun little quote uh, that comes from one of our founding fathers. It's amazing how wise these men were. Like mm -hmm. you, you can look back 250 years and say, "Damn, they knew everything." Right. Um. So John Adams uh, has a quote saying, "There is nothing which I dread so much as a division of our republic into two great parties." Each arranged under its leader and concerting efforts to undermine the other. Hmm. 
250 that's, years ago. That's in, in a nutshell. Absolutely. Yeah, 250 years ago, he makes right. that quote. And, right. and he said he called that the greatest political evil under our Constitution. Huh. Um, and it's not necessarily that the Constitution created two parties. It's just that we've basically always been a two-party system because we had like left versus right, federalist versus anti-federalist, Republican right. versus Democrat. It's always been a system of that, and the parties have just changed their names over time. Right. So the, you're, you're handing me my notes here, by the way, because <laughs> my next no, my next thing is exactly what you're talking about, which is uh, you know I have it written down, so I'll just kind of read it. But what do you think's happened in today's world where you know we all live in, right? Where we can't talk, we can't debate, we can't share, we can't seem to move forward together. It's all in division. Exactly what you're talking about. What do, what do you yeah. think's going on? The media does not help. The politicians themselves don't help. We've gone from a system of debate and discourse, like our founding fathers wanted, to a system of uh, basically hatred of one another. You're either with me or against me. Uh, one example of that is me being in the middle, like yourself. I'm sure you've experienced this. Um, with how I just listed my... Uh, disagreements about how Trump handled the Constitution in the second half of his term. Uh, if I bring any of those up, I'd get Trump supporters being, oh, you're just a Democrat. Or, you're just uh, Democrat talking points. I've never heard a Democrat talk about preserving the Second Amendment. What are you talking about? <laughs> just because I criticize Trump doesn't mean I'm a Democrat. Those are those are Democratic talking points. What the they're hell are you talking yeah, they're about? They're not they're not exclusive to each other. Absolutely. No, no, no. And, and it's the same same thing with the, the Democrats. If, if I point out any good thing that Trump did, like what he did with the economy, border security, holding NATO accountable, oh, you're just a Republican, you, you're just a, a Trump humper, whatever they want to call you that day. Right. Well, I think it's, I feel entirely the same way. And I think that, you know, the truth is the truth, right? So in my opinion, I grew up a Democrat, I grew up in Los Angeles, and, you know, it's just kind of how you grow up here, unless you're in a Maybe uh, that's a policeman or something. Then you're probably a Republican. But, yeah. but I've seen the party change dramatically, and I'm sure the Republicans would say the same thing. And your point about basically, uh, you know, just not following it blindly. And this goes along with the show, Critically United, because you should be a critical thinker, and you shouldn't be shunned for telling the truth, right? I mean, I, I told friends of mine, hey, look. I don't like Donald Trump. I think he's actually kind of a jerk. But he did great on border security. He started building a wall that nobody had ever done. He wasn't letting as many immigrants in who are clearly draining our system, especially here in the border states where I live. Um, he changed the tax code where it was more favorable for most people. Um, what else did he do? Uh, foreign policy, like you said, uh, with China and with the Korea. Cutting so down handled, regulations. Yeah, he handled a lot of things really well. And there's nothing wrong with saying that because those are facts. Yeah. Now, like you said, you know, as I, in my opinion, as he realized that he had to try to seize power again those next four years is where he kind of went off the rails because his whole goal changed. It wasn't changing things. It wasn't a civil servant. It became preserving Donald Trump's presidency. The last his legacy. You know what I mean? Yep. So I think I think we're kind of in unison on that one. Yeah, and, and one last thing I'll say on that yeah. is uh, when it comes down to like the the 
the truth is the truth. Yeah. Uh, one thing I kept telling to Donald Trump supporters when when I gave up on him, when I'm like, okay, he's he's not the guy anymore, yeah. is if you cannot hold your own party, your own president, your own officials accountable, how the hell are you ever going to hold the other party and their officials accountable? It's actually a really good point. I completely agree. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I think you, you know, and, and I encourage the audience out there, if you're hardcore right or left, I don't really care, but listen to the other side. Turn on a podcast, turn on a radio set, just to see what the hell they're saying, because they're, nothing's black and white. I mean, certain things are, sure, like, you know, biology and science, and, you know, these are things we can get into later on this podcast. However, there are truisms in the world, right? But the way that politics work, there's not no truisms, and people should be judged on their actions, you know, and not what they say, per se. Um, and I do think that we, this is my opinion, I think we're spoon-fed what we want to hear, and we're also being isolated into marketing demographics. I think it's all about money. So, for example, the more that somebody can look at your viewership, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or YouTube, whatever, and they figure out you're a hardcore right-winger or left-winger, now they can start selling you stuff because they know who you are. And I think oh, yeah. that's part of it too, right? If you, if you actually have a critical thinking skills and you, you fall somewhere in the middle, they can't target you. It's really expensive to start advertising those people. So I think that's part of it too. It is, so, it is. And, and I, I actually have a, a picture uh, that I'm going to share in just a second once I can pull oh, it up on my computer. Cool. Um, I didn't even know you could do that on this, but you could try. I believe so. Share <laughs> your screen. Um, Let's see if it works. Oh, look at that. Pretty cool. Is it pulling up for you right now? Uh, it's loading. It's loading. Okay. So, while it loads, this is the... I don't know if you've seen this picture before, but it's a picture of a little kid laying on the ground with, like, a boot on his head. There it is. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Um, and it... There's a, a meme about this that talks about how the media will twist terms. Like, it, oh, this kid's getting abused, and then it's just the kid has his, his hand in, in the foot, and he's having fun. He's just goofing around with the, the boot on the hand. But the media will, will crop out like that, that picture that makes it look bad, spin the story how they want it. Right. And there, there's a lot of, lot of that both in politics and in the media right now, yeah. which fuels that fire of getting everyone hating each other. And yeah. that's something that I really wish would stop. Yeah, yeah, and, absolutely. And it goes, right into, it goes right into what you were saying on how if you listen to both sides, there's oftentimes truths on both sides. There's falsehoods on both sides. But oftentimes, what like MSN will do, for example, CNN, Fox, everything, they will take the half of the truth that fits their uh, narrative and forget the rest of it. Correct. And it's when you can Correct. look at both stories and put it together and say, oh, so you told the truth about this part and lied about the rest, but you told the truth about that part and lied about the rest. Yeah. Well, you know what concerns me, too, about that is, I mean, we went, and I'm going to go back to COVID again, which was, you know, one of these hot button topics, but we experienced that, right? It was, everything was this way and, and none of it could be talked about on the other side, right? It had yep. to be this way. We had to have shutdowns. We had to close schools. We had to take these medications. You know, you, you, you had to allow people to know what your medical history was. And there was no other side. If you said the other side, you were, you know, canceled. Like literally yeah. canceled, and I've yeah. never seen anything like it. 
ever. Terrifying. And it's honestly terrifying to watch. I hope that. we I hope we learn from that. I hope there's enough smart people like us out there that saw what happened and go, I don't ever want to see that happen again. You know, I hope. So let me ask you this. As we're gonna wrap up here, but um so where do you see the country going politically and more importantly socially? Like where do you see it go? And I guess also where would you like to see it go? Politically, uh, it's just going the wrong direction uh, continuously uh, because we are not holding our government officials accountable. I think it's a circle. Um, yeah. yeah. Chasing our tail. We're, we're not holding our government officials accountable. And until we start doing that, it's just going to continue doing more of the same. And when I say more of the same, it's going to be more of the same. Uh, like every presidency, there's more executive orders that get written. Every presidency, there's more regulations that get thrown down our, our throat. Every presidency, there's more taxes that get thrown down our throat. Right. We're not we're not changing anything if, if we just keep doing what we're doing. We have to hold them accountable, whether that means voting third party, voting across the aisle, whatever. Nothing's going to change until until we change. Um, Absolutely. And that that really comes down to us educating ourselves. If we if we educate ourselves on the Constitution, we have a chance to, to start turning it around because one of the reasons we are so pitted against each other right now, Democrats will push one thing against Republicans. Republicans will reverse it and push it back against the uh, Democrats. Why are we giving government power to do that? If we give, let's say you're a Democrat and I'm a Republican. If I give my Republican guy all this extra power that's not supposed to be in the Constitution, he can use that power against you guys. Oh, that's all fine and dandy for me, right? I'm, I'm fine, but you're getting abused. But what happens when my guy's out of office and your guy gets into office, he now has that same power to use against me. And he's going to add to that power because we're not holding them accountable. And now they have all that much more power to use against me. Well, what's going to happen when my guy gets back in office? All of that accumulated power is now going to be used yeah, against I'm you. laughing, but it, it's not funny. Yeah. It's just so ironic. I know. Yeah. And that's I mean, all that's, yeah. I mean, that's, that's what we've been ex experiencing, yeah. I think, since like World Clinton. War One, World War Two. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know better about that. I mean, I'm yeah. just speaking of, you know, like presidents. More immediate terms, yeah. Like Clinton was the first one that I saw they really attacked personally and yeah. tried to do that and divide everybody. And since then, it's kind of been ticky-tack both sides, you know. Like yeah. they, they, it, they, 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 instead of doing their jobs, they spend their whole time trying to get the other person out of office. Yep, yep, and, and All right. like I said, I mean, if we can't hold them accountable, it's just going to be more of the same. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that was a great way to wrap it. Um, stay with me for a minute so we can make sure this recording happens and we can uh, broadcast it everywhere and publish it. Uh, thank you, Jesse Rube, constitutional scholar and constitutionalist, for being with us today. Great conversation, awesome way to start the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Not a problem. That was definitely a lot to absorb. I really enjoyed having Jesse on. I thought he was a wealth of knowledge. He definitely has a different background than I certainly do, probably a lot of you do. So what I'm going to do is use the criteria that I've laid out that I would like us all to use, which is to listen, which I did, think, which I am right now, percolate, absorb, and then on the next shorter episode, I'm going to kind of come back and review kind of where I land in all these things. Because right now, I 
I don't want to give you a hard assessment of where I land because I don't really know right now. I want to think about it. And I think we all should. So till next time on Critically United, I'm your host, Frederick Remick. I've enjoyed having you on this show and we'll see you next time. Later.